Well, thanks for coming this morning. Uh, so glad you're here. Uh, it's, it's been an awesome week. Hope that you guys are having a great week. Um, Clark, Clark did a great job. Don't you guys think Clark did a great job last week? I loved that message. Um, and worship was awesome. Wasn't that awesome, guys? I loved that. They, they are doing a phenomenal job. Ruthie, you did a good job, too. I'm proud of you. Um, yeah. I always get extra points, extra points, y'all. That's how it works. Sometimes I tell her good job even if she's done a bad job, you know. She's just, I know. I know. Code, she never knows because I don't tell her a bad job, see. I'm training you. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but have a uh, kind of a fun message today. Uh, we are calling the message Reality Check. Um, and I have a question for you all. Have you ever read something and interpreted it completely different? Anybody ever read something? I'm not, I'm not necessarily like saying heard something like take the trash out and you stay and watch TV longer or something like that. I'm saying you've actually read something and then interpreted it completely different. So I've got kind of like a fun little slide and here's what I want you all to do. I want you guys to read this together got four slides. I want you to read it together aloud, and I want to see how you do. Ready? Here we go. Here's the first slide. Did you guys read it wrong? You're figuring it out. Yep. All right. Ready? Next one. Here we go. Some of you got pretty good on that. You guys are learning. You're getting better. I'm proud of you. All right. Some of you are still like, I don't see anything wrong with it. That's okay. Here's the next one. That's good. Yep. Good job. You're getting better. Last one. Here we go. You guys are experts now. We're good. Give it, give it up for yourselves. You did a great job. I can't fool you. You're just so smart. Um, but scripture, I, I want you to know, how many, how many of you ever read something in scripture and you know you interpreted it wrong? Like something, it, it says one thing and you interpreted it and you took it as something else. And I, I know I've been that way. I've read scriptures for years sometimes and then uh, now with a new filter, I can see what it actually says. And I want to take you through uh, this next text. It's Philippians 2.12 through 13. This is going to be our text that we read for the next couple weeks, and we stay with it, and I really kind of break it down. But Philippians 2.12 through 13, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, it seems simple when you read it. it uh, verse 12, it says, work out your own salvation. It seems pretty simple just to say work out, right? That, that, that should make sense. But for some reason, I myself and I'm sure others, there is a knee-jerk reaction that we have to think that that verse says to work for salvation, and I think, I, I, I'm not positive, but I think the reason why that it is is because most of our lives we had to work for things. Would you agree? Would everybody agree that most, most of I mean, it starts off when you're a baby, right? 
you say dada or mama and you get a little good job, right? Or if they crawl, you know how babies crawl? That's how they crawl. Some babies scoot, right? You ever seen the scooter babies? Those are my favorite, by the way. Um, they don't crawl, they scoot. But you get, a, you get a, a round of applause for that. Or when they walk, usually they look like Frankenstein when they walk, you know, like it's, that's my, I love that, that moment. But they get hand claps, or if they eat, you get hand claps. Then you get a little bit older, you get chores. Anybody remember chores? Kids these days, they don't got chores, you know? Uh, we tell our kids, like, hey, if you wanna go somewhere cool, get your room clean, that's our, that's our negotiations. We don't even call it chores. But uh, there's chores, and you get allowances, and then you get a little bit older, and you get a job, right? And you have to work for money. And then you also work for things. How many of you work for things? Uh, it could be you work for a new car or a new boat or a new camper or uh, what could it be? A new fishing pole. Anybody like new fishing poles in here? You know, it could be working for something. Some of the ladies are like, what about a new purse? Or come on, like we work for things, okay? Uh, and then it could be a career or a promotion. We're always working for something. Uh, 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 the last thing, once you get older, you actually work for your spouse, does anybody know that you work for your spouse? And you might say, I told her I loved her when I married her. If I change my mind, I'm going to let her know. Look, I'm just letting you know you work for your spouse whether you like it or not, okay? Um, whether you're collecting a paycheck, um, you work for them. Um, but all of our lives, I don't know if you guys grew up this way. I did. Um, I, I heard this many times, like, that nothing in life is free. Nothing in life is free. Money doesn't grow on trees. you got to work for it, right? And so for some reason... We've taken that, and we've, that has kind of wandered over into Scripture, and we think that we have to work for our salvation. Uh, but the problem with working for our salvation, there is a big problem with that, is you never really know where the start line is, and you never really know where the finish line is. Anybody realize that? You, you, don't, you don't know where to start and where to begin, and when that happens, you will run out of steam. You will eventually hit a wall, you'll hit a point where you can't continue, and you, have, you actually have to stop. I have a story I want to read to you. It is about Florence Chadwick. Anybody remember Florence Chadwick, 1952? Uh, a woman named Florence Chadwick decided to attempt the 26-mile between California coastline and the Catalina Island. And during her swim, Chad, Chadwick traveled with a team whose job it was to keep an eye out for sharks and be prepared to assist in the event of unexpected cramps, injury, or fatigue. Roughly 15 hours into her swim, a thick fog began to set in, clouding Shadwick's vision and confidence, and her mother happened to be in, in one of the boats at the time as Shadwick uh, relayed to her team she didn't think she could complete the swim. She swam for another hour before deciding to call it quits, and as she sat in the teetering boat, she discovered if she just continued for another mile, she would have reached Catalina Island. She was that close. Um, and that's what's interesting is, and the reason why she didn't make it was because she didn't know how much further she had to go. And so she gave up. And that's very much how salvation is. If we think that we're working for salvation, we will give up eventually because it's endless. There's no finish line. Uh, I went to high school over at Melbourne High School, and I went to high school with a guy named Derek Zach. He was an interesting guy. You can turn that slide off. Um, sorry. Uh, but, but Derek Zach was, um, he was a hilarious guy, played football with him. 
uh, worked, uh, he was my workout partner, and we also did um, track together. So we, I was a hurdler. I don't know if that's a real word. Clark usually makes fun of me of my fake made-up words, but I was a hurdler, and he was a sprinter. Okay, and so we're going from Melbourne High School to O'Galley, which is the next town over. And on our way, Derek Zach walks over to me and my fellow hurdlers on the bus, and he says, I think I'm going to try hurdles today. All right, so if you know anything about tra track, he's roughly, I think he's about 5'3", and the other guys that I ran with, one was 6'2", the other one was 6'8". Okay, so it, it requires something going on there as far as getting over the hurdle. But he was a really fast sprinter, and he just thought, I'm going to go for it. And I said, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you should do it. And he said, no, I'm going to go for it. And so we, I think we ran over 200 meters. I can't remember what the exact one was, but it was a long race with the hurdles. And so he starts going, have you guys ever seen people do hurdles, right? It's like the one leg goes in front of the other. Well, this is the way he ran. He would run, and then he would jump like this, okay? Uh, wasn't working for him very good. And then he just kept going, kept going up. And he did pretty good because he was sprinting in between. Like he would keep up and I kept noticing he's right there. He's doing a little bunny hop, but he's getting over it. Okay. <laughs> and we got on this straightaway and I'll never forget. He caught his foot and did a tumble. Okay. A really bad tumble. And I, I remember thinking like, I'm sure he's just going to brush off and keep going. And I looked back and he threw his arms up and just walked up into the walked up into the bleachers with the, with the crowd. And I remember coming to him after, and I said, hey, Derek, I said, why did you quit? Like, why did you give up? We were, we were you know, like, you could have made it. And he said, well, I couldn't see the finish line. And so I had to give up. And that's what I'll let you know is when we interpret this scripture or any scripture as that we're supposed to work for our salvation, well, it's an endless race because you will never get to the finish line because you think I'm running for something that's not actually there. And the good news is about that is he didn't say that we're working for salvation. He said to work out salvation. He said to work it out. He's talking about working out the salvation that we already have. Y'all with me? Ephesians 2.8, Ephesians 2.8, it says, For by grace you have been saved by faith. Nothing you did could ever earn salvation, for it was the love gift from God that brought us to Christ, right? This word saved is interesting because it's used over a hundred times in the New Testament to refer to the complete package. Saved means, uh, in Greek, it's sozo. It means saved, healed, and delivered. I would love to spend an entire series just on that word alone. Um, some, at some point, we will. Um, but we'll come back to it at some point. But it's fascinating um, because the question is, how are we saved? We're saved by faith. We're saved by just believing. For by grace you have been saved by faith. And I love that it said have been. Okay, this implies that there is no working for. We're not working for salvation. We're not working to be saved because we already have been at belief. Verse, verse 8, it says nothing you could ever do would earn you salvation. Nothing, you guys want to know what nothing means? Nothing means nothing, okay? Uh, I'll give you some 90, 90s words that nothing means, okay? It means nada, it means diddly squat, it means zilch, and it means zippo. Anybody remember that? People, I remember being at the lunch table, and they're like, can I have some of that food? You're going to get zilch of my food, 
Okay? That's not a made-up word wherever Clark is. Um, in other words, God made a deposit of salvation, and we were the recipients. What was the deposit? Or better yet, who was the deposit? Salvation, if I can take you on this little journey, salvation in the Greek means soteria. And if you look, up at it, look it up, the definition in the King James Version, because that is the most Christian version, uh, King James Dictionary, the act of saving preservation from destruction, danger, or great calamity. The root word of this word soteria is soter, which means savior, okay? So you have saved, salvation, and savior that are very, very similar. They have distinct differences. One's more of an adjective. Um, But that's why verse 8, it says, this salvation for it was the love gift from God that brought us to Christ. Salvation is not only being saved from something, but it's also being saved to something. Y'all follow me? It's not just being saved from, because I think that's what the, the, you know, I'm saved. You know, like when you say I'm saved, most of the time we think we're being saved from something. I'm, I'm being saved from going that way. Or it, it, it is, there's a destruction, there's a peril that you'll live when you live a life without God. There is. But it's being saved to something. It's being saved. When we become saved, we become union with Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, So salvation is not just being saved from something, but being saved to something. Salvation is union with Christ. It's a deposit of salvation, which was Jesus. Okay, salvation and saved is more of a position of going from death to life, but Jesus was that deposit. Okay, so uh, anybody heard the story about Zacchaeus? Anybody ever heard that story? Yeah, he was a wee little man. Um, similar to my friend Derek Zach. Anyways, we'll just pretend like it's Derek Zach. So anyways, uh, so Jesus is walking through this town. Okay, he's going through the town, and uh, Zacchaeus decides to climb up the tree. And I love this part, even though we're not going to go into it, but I love that Jesus looked up at him. If you read, if you read um, it's in... It's in Luke 19, but if you read Luke 19, it says that he climbed up the tree, and Jesus just looked up at him, and he said, Zacchaeus. And so he said his name right then and there. And there was no introduction. There was no, hey, I'm Zacchaeus. There was no, like, informant that was walking with Jesus saying, hey, did you know that that's Zacchaeus up in the tree right there? He's the the rich business guy up there. No, that didn't happen. Jesus just said, Zacchaeus. And I want you to know, I don't know where you're at in here. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if you wonder, like, does God know who I am? Does he know what I'm going through? Does he even know my name? And what's so cool about Jesus walking through this town and saying Zacchaeus is there was no introduction. He doesn't need an introduction to who you are. He already knew you before the earth was formed. Amen? I was, we're not going that direction, but I definitely wanted to, to cross that off because it it's just an amazing thought. Luke 19, 9 through 10, I love this interaction. So he, he, he told him, um, he basically wanted to go to his house. You remember that? Like, he's like, take me to your house. And so Jesus told him, this shows that, okay, okay so he's talking, he's kind of um, having a conversation back and forth with him. And uh, uh, so Z- Zacchaeus I think he's just enamored with who Jesus is. He can tell he's the Messiah. And he just says, I'm going to sell everything and give it all to the poor. And Jesus said that salvation has come to your house. Jesus told him in verse 9, it says, This shows that salvation has come to this home today. This man was one of the lost sons of Abraham. And I, the Messiah, have come to search and to save such souls as, as his. 
And I love another translation. It says, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. What was happening there with Jesus and Zacchaeus? He was having a conversation back and forth. Jesus came not just to be the preserver of everything or to, um, but he came to be able to have a conversation with you and I, to be able to talk back and forth. And the home that Jesus goes into these days is, is the home of our own lives, right? It was by grace that the Savior came to live in us. He's not knocking on natural doors. He's not walking around. I mean, I'd invite him in and we could have a great time, but he's not doing that these days. He's knocking on the doors of our hearts. Salvation has come to our house. And did you know that it is possible that Jesus lives in people and they don't even know it? Did you all know that? It's actually a possibility. Um, anybody ever been to Panda Express? If not, I'll tell you, it's pretty good, all right. Um, but usually you, get, you can get the orange chicken. I know I'm gonna make you guys hungry. You get the orange chicken with the sesame chicken, and then you can get kind of like half and a half. You get the noodles and the rice. It's the way to go, all right? And then they throw in a cookie at the end. I don't know if you've been there, but they throw a cookie at the end, okay? So usually take my kids there uh, on Sundays, and we go there. And then uh, I remember about two years ago, I'm sitting across from them, and I usually get done with my lunch or dinner or any kind of meal way faster than my family, okay? Usually I'm just sitting there watching them eat. And so I'm eating this cookie and I ate the cookie, and I'm like, wow, that was a great meal. And then the kids pull their cookies out, and they pull them out of the wrapper, and they pop it open, and they pull out the fortune, and they start reading their fortunes. And I don't remember what their fortunes were, but I remember them looking at me and saying, hey, Daddy, what was your fortune? And I thought, hmm, what was my fortune? And what I realized is that I actually ate my fortune. <laughs> okay? I noticed that the cookie was a little papery, <laughs> took a minute, and the fortune was inside of my stomach, all right? And so I say that to say that you can, the lesson I learned that day is you can have a fortune inside of you and not even know it, okay? It's embarrassing. So that's what I got to tell you guys to make you laugh, just embarrassing stories of myself. Second Corinthians. <laughs> 13.5, I got another one coming up. Or do you not realize, this is Paul talking to, to the Corinthians, he realized there was a fortune inside of them. He said, or you, do you not realize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Paul was giving the Corinthians a reality check here. He said, you Corinthians need to know you have eaten the cookie and there is a fortune called Jesus inside of you. And what I want you, I want to go through three reality checks real quick with y'all, uh, three different reality checks um, that we can glean from about this verse, uh, the Corinthians 13, 5. Uh, number one, location is important. Location is important. Christ is not merely outside of us, a helper in our time of need, but he dwells in us, living in and with us at all times. I don't know if y'all have ever pictured this, but sometimes I believe that we can feel like when we go to pray to God that there's this angel that's with us and he takes our little messenger and then he runs it up to God like while he fights off the demons and he gets up to God and then God opens up the message and he's like, I have an answer for my son and he writes the little message and then he hands it back to the angel and the angel fights all the way back down and then he hands us this thing and then then we receive some kind of thing it, th that is not that's not at all how it works Paul wasn't speaking poetically when he said Jesus is living in us or metaphorically he was saying Jesus is literally practically dwelling within us as believers the second reality check that I love to talk about is number two is never forget 
Now, I know we just went through 9-11. You'd think that that's what I was, like, I really, I worked hard, and I tied it in with yesterday, and I, um, I didn't. I, this, was, this was made up, like, months ago. Um, but never forget, all right? And the never forget that, that I want to talk about, since Paul was going to be a reality check, either they never knew or they had forgotten, right? They never knew that Christ was in them or they had forgotten. And I kind of relate it to, anybody ever seen the movie Hook? Anybody ever seen that with Robin Williams and he's Peter Pan, right? Um, but I relate it to him. And if you don't know the story, so he's here on earth. This is the adult uh, style of him being down here. And he's down here and he's living his life and he's got two kids. And Hook actually steals his two kids and takes them back to Never Neverland. And so Peter Pan decides to go back to Never Neverland and he's there. And when he runs into, into Hook and the Lost Boys, and he's actually forgotten who he is. He doesn't remember who he is. He's so confused by it. He doesn't realize the power that's within him, okay? And so it, all the Lost Boys, I don't know if you remember the movie, but all the Lost Boys keep saying the word bangerang to Peter Pan, okay? Which if you look it up, it's actually a real word. I thought it was a made-up word. It's a Jamaican word, and it, it actually stands for war cry. And they were trying to get him to realize the power that's within him to become who he's actually supposed to be, right? And I say that to let you know that that's what Paul is doing is he's saying in bangerang. He's like, recognize the power that's inside of you and live that out, okay? Uh, number three, the third thing, the reality check that we can take from this verse, verse five, is a revelation. Uh, if you don't have a revelation that the Savior is in you and you're still trying to work for salvation, then you will end up giving up. If you don't realize, like, it, it actually does affect the way you live, talk, think, communicate with people, right? Um, it, it, it affects it. You actually ha have to have a revelation that Jesus is in you in order for it to change something about your life. Um, I remember uh, I, when I was a teenager, I used to chew on bottle caps. You guys know the little aluminum bottle caps that you pull off, right? I know it's a strange habit, but I would pull them off and I would put them on the end of my mouth. Sometimes I would put them inside of my mouth. I would chew on them. They would cut my mouth. I know it's gross, but I just did that all the time. I don't know why I did it as a kid. Well, I was in ninth grade. And I was playing basketball with my cousins, and I had that bottle cap in my mouth, okay? And I went to go up for the rebound, and when I went up for the rebound, the bottle cap got stuck right here, right? And so I'm turned around from, from my cousins, and I'm going, <gasps> and they're laughing at me because usually I'm choking on something, but... Um, they're laughing at me, and eventually I got my wits about me, and I just took a big old swallow and I went and swallowed that bottle cap. Okay, and what I want you to know in that moment is I knew exactly where the bottle cap was, okay? It was right here on the inside of me, okay? It was on the inside, and we can live with that same kind of revelation <laughs> that Jesus lives on the inside of us. All this helps Philippians 2.12 make sense, right? Where it says, work out your own salvation. In other words, he's saying, allow what's on the inside of you to come out. In other words, he's saying, work out your salvation that is in you. Work out the Savior that is in you. Romans 8.10, it says, but if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Galatians 1.15 through 16, it says, but when it pleased God to reveal his son in me, right? He's in me. Even Paul was reminding himself that Jesus is on the inside of him. 
Galatians 2.20, it says, I am crucified with Christ, and it is, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Here, Paul did not say, I live in a Christ-like way, or I glorify Christ through my behavior. No, he said, Christ lives in me, clearly telling us that Christ lives in his believers. The Christian life is not a matter of behaving like Christ, but allowing Christ himself to live in and through us. Behavior doesn't change God's grace towards us. Did y'all know that? Like our behavior, like I think we talk about it enough. We kind of drive that point home. But behavior doesn't change God's grace towards us. But what I will tell you is God's grace towards us does change our behavior. Like the more you have a revelation of his grace, I mean, it just, that's the slogan here at the church is grace changes everything, right? It really does. Ephesians 2, it says, nothing you did could ever earn this salvation. It, basically, it takes us out of the equation. You can't earn salvation. That eliminates this whole working for salvation. And I've heard people come against this whole grace message and say, y'all are preaching grace so you can behave however you want. Here's a, here's a bit of a reality check for you. God doesn't want us to just act like him, but to know that we are like him. Did you hear that? Like, he's not... I mean, it's not all about acting like him because that's even what Jesus did while he was here on the earth, didn't he? Like while he was here on the earth, he was frustrated because everybody was trying to act like God and trying to behave like God. But God doesn't want us just to act like him. He wants us to know that we are like him. I am crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's why he, that's why he put Jesus on the inside of us and said, work him out. Jesus was the best thing to place inside of us, and if we work him out, we are showing people what God looks like. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said in John 8, 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, that was in John, and then in Matthew... In his account, it says, Jesus said that you are the light of the world. Can y'all see this okay? Is it on? Everybody see it okay? Make sure the audience can see it at home. But Matthew 5, 14, it says, your lives light up the world. For how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? And who would light a lamp and then hide it in an obscure place? Instead, it's placed where everyone in the house can benefit from its light. So, you, so don't hide your light. Let it shine before others so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them. And then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. I love it that Philippians said to work out your own salvation. And then here in this verse, it says, let your light shine before men. Reality check. The Savior, the light of the world, lives inside of you. And you might be looking around and seeing lots of darkness. Anybody like that in here right now? Like you're looking around and like all you can see is darkness. Right? We can bring it down just a little bit more. Right? But all you can see is darkness. And you're worried. Anybody worried in here? Like about life? It's okay if you are. <laughs> you turn on the news. You're like, man, I'm worried. You talk to your neighbor, man, I'm worried. You go to work, man, I am worried about where the world is going, okay? 
But here's what I'll let you know is light is never as bright as when it's shining in darkness. It's never as bright. In fact, the darker it would get, the brighter the light will shine. Y'all realize that? And I love, I know this is going to be kind of funny. Everybody's wondering like, man, Matt, you've been bulking or working out? Oh, there we go. Everybody can see that? So most of the time, right, um, you'll think I got to be close to the light. But here, what I'm trying to illustrate to you is salvation lives in us. Light is in us. You'll hear songs like, I don't know if you you remember this song. It was, um, it said, just to be close to you, just to be close to you, just to be close to you is my desire. Well, here's what I, I, I hate to this is kind of a newsflash. This is a reality check. He's as close to you as, as he could ever be. Or songs like, you guys remember the DC Talk song? I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine like the stars in the heaven. Oh, Lord, be my light and be my salvation. Oh, all I want to do is be in the light. And we have this mentality that if we're not focused on trying to be in the light, that no light will shine. But that's why Jesus not only said that he was the light, but he said, you are the light. So even though things might get darker, I want you to know you and I, were the light. We bring light into situations. We bring hope into situations. We bring life into situations. That's why when it says, work out your salvation, let your light shine, that's pretty easy to just let light shine. It's kind of like just letting him shine. It's letting him shine through us and with us and wherever we go, we're changing the atmosphere and we're changing the darkness that's trying to take over the world. Amen? Reality check, we have been saved, we have a savior, and we have salvation. Therefore, the light of the world lives in us. You are the light of the world. Would y'all stand with me? I wanna pray real quick. It's interesting, I've been through a lot of dark times in my life. And even when I didn't recognize that he was with me, he was with me. And I think it's just so important that we see that Paul said, hey, reality check. If he had to tell the Corinthians reality check, if he had to remind himself, it's so important for us to do that. Let me pray. Father, we thank you, God, so much for your goodness. We thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you, God, for your mercy. We trust in you to speak to us, God, this week. Help us to just let light shine. Let your light shine through us wherever we go, God, as we're bringing hope and healing to the lost. We trust in you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.